Tonight I get the privilege of introducing uh, Reverend John Porter to us tonight. Uh, last night I made the mistake of calling him a doctor, and he didn't like that. He says, I ain't quite got that high up yet. So uh, he's going to uh, come and bring our message to us again tonight. If you haven't been here for all of them, you've missed uh, a blessing for sure, but each night is can stand on its own. So if you're here tonight, you're going to hear a good message. If you come back tomorrow night and Thursday night, you're going to hear the rest of the message. Just like Paul Harvey is going to bring the rest of the story on Thursday night. So uh, let's be prepared for that. But Brother John, is, he's coming from Maharian Baptist Church. He's been there just over a year now. I think he said he came in March. No, January, right? Yeah, and so he's, he's been here just over a year. And uh, it's uh, been a privilege to have him here. We get a lot of the Maharian people coming over to, to hear their pastor and make sure they don't lose him because they know that we're looking. Uh, so uh, I think they're over here to kind of guard him, to keep him away from us. Uh, search committee is sitting out here in the audience, and uh, they might be talking to him. You never know. But anyway, um, I, Reverend Porter, you bring the message as soon as our choir finishes with theirs.
Hey, good evening. Hey, welcome back tonight. I'm so happy to be back with you again. Uh, Brother Connie, I appreciate that introduction uh, each night. Uh, and, uh, and you did get it right tonight. Good job. He wasn't listening. He doesn't know. But, uh, but you, said, you said something tonight that, uh, that I'm actually uh, glad you did. I know you were saying in, in just and, and just kidding, but uh, in regard to uh, uh, Pastor Search Committee here and the Meharan folks coming to guard, um, the, uh, uh, the, our, our church family, <laughs> yeah, Robert right here up front. Here. Yeah, yeah. But, but our, our church folks at Meher, and I, I just want to say this uh, uh, here. I mean, Conway, you are a sister church to us. We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of the same family, uh, though we have localized bodies. And, uh, but I just wanted to say this about our church at Meher, and it's that uh, they, they have loved on me and my family uh, like no other church has before. That doesn't mean that the church is... This is my third church that I've been uh, privileged to pastor in, and... and uh, uh, each one of them have have had I've had wonderful experiences in been been some challenges that I was able to learn from in them as well. I mean, you're going to have that in any situation, any church. But uh, but Meher and Jets, they've taken it up to another level in terms of how they respect the pastor. In some churches, I I personally have not experienced this, but I know many pastors who have. In some churches, the pastor is the most extinct, not distinguishable but extinguishable person in the whole congregation. And, and that should not be. And uh, Meharin makes sure, at least to this point, they've made sure that that's not the case. And uh, uh, so I'm, I'm so happy to be a part of Meharin and that God has allowed that blessing for me. And, and I hope that they would say that uh, my family and I have been uh, that blessing to them as well. Um, so, so I just say that to you. So Conway, as uh, you're looking for your next pastor and believing that God will bring that next pastor here, and, and we want to believe that at Meharin with you, uh, just know that when that pastor comes, that uh, it will be to everybody's benefit if you will love on that pastor, if you will deeply respect and love on that pastor. And, uh, and I, I think you'll probably get the most out of him at that point too. And, uh, and I hope Meharin's getting the best out of me. Would you turn with me tonight in your Bible to the book of 2 Corinthians? This is Paul's letter, his second one actually, to the church at Corinth. Some might would say this is his third or fourth letter. We believe he wrote several letters actually to the church at Corinth. But tonight we're going to look at 2 Corinthians beginning in the 5th chapter. And we're just going to look at one verse for the moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 beginning... Verse 14, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word tonight? Here Paul writes, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one, that is Christ, that if one died for all, then all died. Actually, let's read verse 15 too. And He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Will you pray with me? Father, sometimes there are things that we hold in the darkness. There are some things that we know are not right and we don't want to think about them, we don't want to talk about them, and we don't want them to be exposed. 
But tonight, Father, I pray that the things that are in the darkness that need to be brought to the light are indeed exposed in our own hearts for the sake of your glory in our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. According to the Scriptures, God has done everything for me and you to be right with Him. Paul talks about this very specifically when he's writing to Titus, and he says this, Titus 3.5, that God has saved me not because of any of my righteous works, and not because of any of your righteous works, but God has saved me, He saved you, if in fact you or I are saved. God has saved us by His own mercy not because of what we've done. Paul goes on to say it's through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit poured out. And the Holy Spirit is not given, the Holy Spirit is not poured out unless God Himself pours the Spirit out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now what this means for us is that our vertical relationship with God is made right through Jesus Christ Himself. And in Romans, Paul talks about this in the 8th chapter. Paul talks about a lot in Romans chapter 8. It's a very deep chapter. But in the very first verse of Romans chapter 8, Paul says that now there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But that begs the question, who in fact is it that is in Christ? Well, Paul also explains there that it is those who do not walk according to the flesh... But those who are in Christ are those who walk according to the Spirit of Christ. Now, as important as this is for us to understand, and it does lay a foundation for what I want us to talk about tonight, there's something else that's equally important for us to understand. You see, this Corinthian passage tells us that it is so uh, dire for us to be able to have a vertical relationship with God that's right, but it doesn't stop there. Paul doesn't stop there. Paul goes on to tell us about how important it is for us to also have good horizontal relationships. You see, that vertical relationship with God is about this this upward relationship. But the horizontal relationships in our lives are about those relationships that we have with those people that are around us, beginning in our home, beginning in our church family, but even those people on the street those people that you are rubbing shoulders with in your workplaces or your school places and wherever else. There's a lot to be said about our horizontal relationships, and the Scripture speaks to us uh, so abundantly about that. And so while each one of us may feel that we are satisfied in our vertical relationship with God, we must take an honest inventory of our own lives, our own thoughts even, as to whether or not our horizontal relationships, our relationships with other people, are really on good standing. Because the truth is, your vertical relationship with God is never going to be right if your horizontal relationships with other people are not right. You see, you cannot be right with God if you are in bitter relationships with other people. God does not want that. God will not stand for that. Of the Ten Commandments that God gave to His people through Moses on Mount Sinai, in those Ten Commandments, do you realize that only four of those commandments deal with your vertical relationship with God? But it is six of those commands that deal with your horizontal relationships with other people. Now, why would God give us more commands regarding our relationships with other people 
than he would regarding our own relationship with him. Now, there may be many answers to that question, but I suppose that one of those answers at the very least would be that as God's children, that we are to interact and deal with other people in a way that is to model the way that God interacts and deals with us. We are to be that example to them. And so how is it that God has interacted with us? Well, first of all, God has given us His Word. But secondly, God has given us His Son that we might know God the Father through Christ the Son. Well, that's how God has interacted with us, but how has God dealt with us? You know how God should have dealt with us? He should have left us alone in our sin and we'd be eternally separated from Him. But God did not choose to deal with us in that kind of way. Rather, God chose to love us with an unconditional love. No matter how bad we had strayed, no matter how much we had offended Him, the blood of Jesus Christ washes over all of that. And now we've been forgiven if indeed we've put our faith in Jesus Christ and we follow Him by abiding in His Word. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that you just say you follow Jesus and then you don't follow Jesus. Following Jesus means that you abide in His Word. You honor His Word in the way that you live, in the practice of your life. But this also means that God has given us an inheritance that we don't deserve too. You see, that which we have to look forward to is something that we've not earned. And we should never have received or never should receive. But we're going to receive it because our faith is real. And God has promised what is real. And so the inheritance that is to come, that is an eternity in heaven, a place with streets of gold, a place that, to be honest with you, we can't really imagine how great it is. But that's our inheritance, and we don't deserve it. But that's how God has chosen to deal with us. So let's be honest with ourselves when we consider the question tonight, how do you interact and how do you deal with other people? Do you do it in a Christ-like or a godly manner? the way in which God has dealt with you and interacted with you? Or is it true that you have relationships, or at least a relationship? You see, what we're going to talk about tonight, on the surface, you might feel like, well, this sort of spans a, a wide variety, and, and uh, if, if I'm only having a problem in one area or in one relationship, I'm doing pretty good. Well, no, that's not true. Tonight, this can be narrowed down to one relationship that is very problematic in your life between you and someone else. So don't think that because you don't have multiple relationships that are failing or at odds that you're doing good. If you have one relationship tonight that is in a bad place, you need to know that this word is completely for you. So how is it that you deal with the relationships in your life, other people? Are there relationships in your life that you can reflect on right now and recognize that there needs to be some reconciliation? There needs to be talks of forgiveness and love. Do you have disunity, perhaps even in your own home, in your own family? Do you have disunity amongst anybody in the congregation, in the church? If so, you need to know that God's not a part of that. Corinthians also tells us in 14.33, in the first letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he says, God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of disunity. God is the author of peace. In Romans sixteen seventeen, Paul writes there that those who cause divisions and offenses, they do not serve the Lord. So those people that come into your family or they come into the church family and they cause disruption and disunity, 
Those people are not serving the Lord in what they're doing. Jesus gets more specific with this in John's gospel in the 8th chapter in the 44th verse. He said, these people who come in and do these kinds of things, they do not belong to God the Father. They belong to their father, the devil, because they share in the devil's desires. Getting deeper all the time now, right? On the other hand, for those that follow Christ, Paul says it is the love of Christ that compels us. Do you know what the word compel means? It means controls. Paul is saying that the love of Christ controls those who are in Christ. And so therefore we no longer live for ourselves, he says, but rather we live for the one who has died for us. You see, we've not been resurrected with Christ so that we can walk in our old ways. We've been resurrected with Christ so that we can walk in new ways. If you are in Christ Jesus, you don't live over there anymore. You live over here with Him. Your ways, your thoughts, your ideals, your habits, your agendas, your plans, all these things, they're not the same anymore. Because when you were living over here apart from Christ, you were thinking about yourself and that's all you cared about. But now you're in Christ and so you're to care about the things of Christ, which is about His kingdom growing, expanding. And that His glory, His light is seen and shown through you. That His message would be heard through you. That your relationships with other people would reflect what a relationship God has with those that love God the Father. And again, how God has interacted and dealt with them. It means that we are compelled by, we are controlled by, we are motivated even by the love of Christ that is manifested in us. Not because of what we've done, but because of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. In verse 16, Paul says, Now because I live in Christ, I can see with spiritual eyes. Paul says, I, I see differently now. Brandon Heath has a great song. He says, Lord, give me your eyes so that I can see everything that I've been missing. And I think that's exactly what we should be asking God for. God, help me to see more clearly. And God wants us to do that. And God will honor that. Because I've been the recipient of a love that has transformed me, I'm able to see things differently. And that includes different people that I can see them still in a loving way, even though they may be doing some horrific things. They, be, they may be messing up their life. And I can't stand to watch it, but I see them through the lens of love. Not through bitterness and hatred because of what they're doing. Even though they may be hurting me in the process. Verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 18, Now, All things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus, and has given us, I love this part, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And verse 19, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, not charging us for what we should be charged with, and that he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. This is so important that we get. We must understand. Don't leave here tonight without understanding what Paul has just said. This is for every believer in Jesus Christ. Every believer in Jesus Christ has been given the ministry of reconciliation and has been committed to the word of reconciliation. So what does that mean? Well, in John's Gospel, again, in the 13th chapter, verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I've loved you, 
that you also have love for one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This is how you're going to be distinguished from any and everybody else in the world. It's by the way that you love as Jesus loved. So what Jesus is doing here in this moment, he's speaking against the culture because the culture can't live this way. People in society, they can't live this way. They can't live this way because they don't know Jesus. They don't live that way because they don't know Jesus. You see, it's not until you have Jesus that you can love the way that Jesus says you're to love. So this command becomes one that is very profound. It's one that's very intense because it speaks to the power that you and I have in a relationship with Jesus. We have something that the rest of the world does not have. We have the ability to love the way that God loves. A true, unconditional kind of love. But this is also a very frustrating command. It's a very irritating command for people who are worldly and yet they are trying to live in the church. Because they can't do it. They can't do what Jesus is saying you must do. And that's very frustrating for some people. But the reason why is because they're not of Christ. They're of the world. They may be in the church, but they're not of Christ. They're of the world. Because those who are truly in Christ, they have the ministry of reconciliation. They have the Spirit of God living in them, helping them to be able to process and interact with others in a way of restoration. It's all about graciousness and forgiveness, you see. Because that's how, again, God deals with us. These people are all part of ministry of God. It's the purity of heart that Jesus is really getting at here. And those who are a new creation in Christ, they have it. They get it and they have it. On the other hand, those people who are of the world and they're trying to live in the church, there's a growing acidity inside of them. It's just, this thing just gnaws at them because it's their practice to tear people down, not build people up. They want to destroy people. They don't want to love people. And now they're quick to exalt people like they're heroes. But, but if you watch them carefully, they're also even quicker to tear down even their heroes. It's, it's like madness. It really is. It's a paradox. It's like an oxymoron. It's all of these things. But it's nothing more than the world seeping into the church. And more and more, little by little maybe, but more and more, the church is looking like the world. But what I'm saying, what I want you to understand tonight, is that many in the church, they don't get this. Many in the church, they they don't live this way because they're not willing to give other people the benefit of the doubt. They're not willing to be helpful and loving towards others. Despite, Despite the fact that we've been the recipients ourselves of an unmeasurable amount of grace and forgiveness. You know that, right? Do you really know what God has forgiven you of? And how much grace He had to pour into your life for that to happen? Because you were a rotten person. I was a rotten person. We were. We all were. We were to the degree that the Scripture says our very best before God was filthy rags. On our best day, still filthy rags before God. So that speaks very mightily, very wonderfully too, to how much grace God has given us and how much God has forgiven us for. 
But yet, despite the fact that we would like to believe that we've been forgiven in such a great way, we don't often tend to be very gracious toward other people, though. In fact, we have a tendency to attack people quickly. We have a tendency to become frustrated very quickly. We have a tendency to wound others quickly. But Jesus says that the world will recognize you by the love that you have for others, not by the way you attack others, not by the way that you wound others. And so it is through the ministry of reconciliation that relationships are restored. But it's also through this ministry of reconciliation that God begins to put the burden on His children to pursue restoration and reconciliation in times of conflict and difficulty in relationships that we have with others. In Romans twelve eighteen, Paul says, As much as it is possible, pursue peace in all your relationships. Now he does say, there's a caveat here. He says, if it's possible. What does that mean? It means it's not always going to be possible. It means that some people are not going to want to reconcile with you. Some people are going to prefer to wallow in bitterness and hatred towards someone else or perhaps even a group of people. And some people prefer to slander and gossip and destroy someone's reputation rather than love and respect and adore them in a Christ-like kind of way. Some people will even choose to attack someone else physically. They'll choose their own forms of retaliation. Like a man named Mr. Watts. Mr. Watts was from Sellerstown, North Carolina. This actually happened back in the 1970s. It's a true story. Back in the 1970s in Sellerstown, North Carolina, which is just a few miles from where I grew up at, I used to drive through this little town. In fact, it's not even really a town. It's more of a community. Very small place. But Mr. Watts was a a fairly wealthy man, and he didn't like the pastor in his church. And he made it known that he didn't like the pastor in his church. And so he began by just talking about the pastor behind his back, saying things that weren't true, or at least letting people know what he didn't like about him. That's how it started, with slander and gossip. But then from there, it became uh, a little more obvious because if the pastor went longer in a message than what Mr. Watts thought that he should, he would hold his arm up and he would start tapping his watch so that the preacher could see it's time to wrap it up. And if the pastor continued to go on, Mr. Watts would get up and he would walk out of the door and he would intentionally slam the door so that everybody in the room knew that he was upset. He was always trying to draw that attention to himself because he felt like he had that kind of authority and that kind of control. He was very narcissistic. Mr. Watts continued to escalate things, though. It got to the point where he would drive by the pastor's house and he would shoot a gun at his house. But he didn't stop there either. He even started setting off discharges of dynamite near the pastor's house. One day, the percussion was so intense that it blew out one of the picture windows in one of the rooms where his children were playing and glass was just thrown everywhere across the room. Mr. Watts didn't even stop there. There was a particular man and woman who were having a a relationship problem. It was a husband and wife. They were struggling in their marriage. But it was the husband's fault because the husband was was very unstable mentally. 
Uh, there was some alcohol, I think, involved too. But Mr. Watts knew about this struggle that this man had. He knew about how, un- how unstable this man was, how unpredictable this man was. And this man's wife had been going to the pastor and his wife and asking for help and some encouragement. And Mr. Watts went to this man and was able to convince him that this pastor and wife were trying to get this wife, the pastor and the pastor's wife, were trying to get this man's wife away from him. And so this set the man off, and so he went to the preacher, the pastor, and his wife, and he shot them. It was Mr. Watts' hope all along. He wanted them dead. He wanted them out of there. But Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. This means that you're going to have to forgive some people, even though they may not want your forgiveness. Or if it's a a situation where both of you have been at fault, that they may not want to offer you forgiveness in return. But you want to know what happened in the rest of that story? with the pastor and his wife, and they were shot. The wife died. The pastor lived on for just a little while longer. But how did the pastor and his wife deal with all of the other stuff leading up to that? They prayed for Mr. Watts. That's what they did. They tried to care for him. They tried to love on him. But Mr. Watts wouldn't have it. Now, there's a lot more to that story, actually. Mr. Watts, uh, eventually the pastor did die. And they had two children. Mr. Watts ended up going to prison. The man that shot them went to prison as well. But while he was in prison, Mr. Watts had a change of heart. It's called salvation. He met Jesus in prison. And he realized the pain and the wrong that he had done. And when he came home, he began to try and establish something of a relationship with the pastor's children. And you know how those children responded? They forgave Mr. Watts. Mr. Watts went on to uh, pay for their college and did some other things in their lives too. It's a very, very fascinating story. There's actually a book written about it. It's called The Devil in Pew Number 7. It's a true story. Friends, what I want you to get from this is that if you have bitterness, if you have unforgiveness, if you have disunity in your horizontal relationships with other people, you have disunity between you and God. You're not right with God if you're not right with others. In fact, you're living in sin before God if you're not seeking peace and reconciliation with whoever it is that you're harboring that hatred or hurt between. And God's not going to bless your life as long as that's happening. God's not going to bless your family. He's not going to bless your church as long as you're living this kind of way. And when there's disunity amongst the brethren, don't think that God is going to do some great things there. Not until the brethren really comes together, gets it together, and does it the way that God says do it. And by do it, I mean do life together, live together, in harmony, serving together, worshiping together, really loving together. But so sadly, just like the people of the world, there are people in our churches who will avoid peaceful attempts because they are so set on vengeance 
not resolving conflict. They choose rather to flee from a biblical resolution to any of the matters at hand. And they'll turn to things like secretly condemning the person that they're holding something against and again trying to tear down their reputations. And they'll usually start in very small circles and try to blow that up. And so rather than turning to God and turning to the holy things of God, they would rather turn to a friend that they think will agree with them and get on board with them on trying to tear that person down. And therefore, that person and whoever else would come on board with them in tearing down that reputation of someone else, they all enter into the denial of God's authority over their life. And it's full-blown. It's sin and nothing less. And so when you do this, you're dishonoring the Word of God. You're dishonoring the family of God and you're dishonoring any walk with God if you ever really had a walk with God. Now, God has already given us the example about what he would do in that case. And in all cases, God would he would initiate the contact and he would forgive. God would engage the person and he would reconcile with them. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says this. He calls us hypocrites if we do not offer grace to others. Furthermore, Matthew chapter 6, verse 15, Jesus says, But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And then Jesus takes it up to a whole new level here, Matthew 18, verse 34. He says, So my heavenly Father will deliver you to the torturers if you, from your heart, do not forgive your brother his trespasses. One of the things that absolutely just astounds me and breaks my heart is to see people in the church setting actively avoiding each other because they have conflict with one another. And I've seen this, uh, thankfully I've not seen it at Meharan, but I've seen this in the two previous churches that I have pastored in. In fact, the very first church that I pastored in, this was a uh, church in Wilmington, North Carolina. And in that church, there were uh, two older ladies that were just really at odds with one another. They hated one another. I did not understand the conflict. In fact, for a while, I didn't know the conflict existed. How I found out about the conflict was we were about to enter into a Wednesday night Bible study. Most people had already gathered in our room, and and I was just about to start when the door opened, and they're yelling at each other coming into the door for the Bible study that night. And then the alarms start going off in my mind. What's wrong here? And... So they calmed down once they got inside, but immediately after I was through that night, I asked them to meet with me, and we went and met. I began discussion with them and found out that this was a conflict that had been going on. Never really found the root cause. Don't know where it began, but I found out this was a conflict that had been going on for a long time between these two ladies. But I carried them through God's Word and places or passages just like what I've just shared with you. I wanted to startle them with God's Word. I wanted God's Word to to just rattle their hearts and their their minds. I was hoping to shake them up because I I couldn't, as the pastor, I couldn't stand for that kind of conflict uh, to take place inside this fellowship of believers. Because even though... Uh, their bitterness and hatred was towards each other. Now it's, it's, it, they're having outbursts and it's affecting other people. And we can't have that. We can't tolerate it. And I certainly wasn't going to tolerate it. And so I, I met with them and I shared these things with them. And I said, so what do you ladies say about this? 
Do you want to reconcile? And one of the ladies right away, she said, yes, I want to make this right. I want to reconcile. I want to forgive her and I want to ask her to forgive me. And I looked at the other lady and I said, what about you? What do you say about this? And she said, yeah, I'll forgive her if she promises never to speak to me again. Now, was she serious about forgiveness? No. And so those two ladies walked out of that room. They never had any more public outbursts. But they walked out of that room with unresolved conflict. However, one of them wanted to reconcile. But again, the other one did not. She was trying to pursue it as much as it was possible. As Paul says on her part, she wanted reconciliation. But the other lady would not have it. That lady died a few years ago. And, and I know that she went to her grave with that conflict still in her heart. What does that mean for her now for all of eternity? I'm not so sure, but in my mind, based on what I read in God's Word, I don't think it's very good for her. Friends, I want to remind you tonight that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And you're not to live and think the way that you used to. You're not to live and to think the way that the world around you does because you're supposed to see through spiritual eyes now. The eyes, the lens of Jesus Christ Himself. And you are to pursue peace in all of your relationships. That is certainly your vertical relationship, but it is also most certainly your horizontal relationships with others. And I want to remind you again, you've been given if you are in Christ Jesus, the ministry of reconciliation. And to add to that, you've been given Jesus' model, His example, to follow through it all. And that's why Paul concludes this chapter in verse 20 when he says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. I have a lot of favorite verses in the Bible, but this is one of them. Let me repeat. Now then, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. God wants us to plead unto others on His behalf. God wants us to be His mouthpieces. I mentioned ambassadorship, I think, on Sunday night. But here it is. An ambassador is a trusted representative. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are His trusted mouthpiece. I like to ask this question when uh, I talk about being an ambassador in Christ. I like to ask believers to consider this. How is the reputation of Jesus Christ looking in your care? Since you are a trusted representative of His reputation, you are His mouthpiece, how's that going for Jesus? How, if people are looking into your life, what does Jesus look like to them? Does He really look like Jesus? The Jesus of Scripture, Holy Scripture? Or does He look like something that the world has made up? It's an important question. And I think we do ourselves well to answer it honestly. So that if something needs to change, we can change it. He goes on to say, And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And as His ambassador, Christ gives you what you need 
to be able to say, to speak to others, that they would be able to see a true representation of Christ. But the question remains, are you being true to that? The world needs to see the righteousness of Christ in you and me. People need to see you and I responding biblically to our relationships, even our, and especially our conflicts in relationships with other people. They need to know that the way that other people respond is not the way that God responds. And they need to be able to see that in you. They need to see us responding in the way that God responded to how we offended Him. In times of conflict with those around us that we should be loving most, our brothers and sisters, I think it's important for us to realize that we do have much more in common with them than we do that separates us from them. Most of all, what we should have in common with them is that we are compelled. We're controlled. We're motivated by Christ's love. That should be the greatest common denominator between brothers and sisters in church settings and in families, homes alike. That we are motivated and controlled by the love of Christ. So why is it if that's true, and it is, why is it that so many times our homes especially our churches, look more like Democrats and Republicans trying to rip each other apart. Because that too is also true. The reason why that is is because some people choose the spirit of retaliation rather than practice the ministry of reconciliation. That's why this happens. Some people choose to raid other people's lives rather than to repair in other people's lives. And some just simply choose to impose their methods of vengeance rather than trusting on the Lord and letting Him deal with it in His own just way in His right time. Friends, this is the Word of God to the people of God. And I believe that this is the kind of message that should bring us to our knees. I don't think there's any one of us that can get uh, too far away from what Paul's probably talking about here. I imagine all of us, that God's dealing with us even right now about something in relationship with someone else that needs to be dealt with. And these are the kinds of words that that should bring us to the point where we just want to beg God to stop time so that we can go and, and make it right to make sure that we've got time to make it right because you don't know if you've got tomorrow. They don't know if they've got tomorrow. Who knows if you've really got time to even make it right. And so let's ask God, God, just stop Stop time right now so that I can be sure to get there right away and deal with this. To make it right, at least as best I can from my perspective, that I do everything that I can to do it the way that you would do it, God. So that we don't miss the moment. We don't miss the opportunity to really make God known as glorious through our lives. By us loving others, even those who have offended us. Just the way that God has loved us, even though we've offended Him. Because Jesus is the answer. And the Word of God says it to us very clearly. It's all right before you. We pray. Father, I want to thank you for these men, these women, the younger ones alike. And the opportunity today that you've given us to just sit under your word. 
to be captivated by your love for us and to be amazed, Lord, just that you would pour out such grace and forgiveness on our offenses against you because, Lord, we understand that they have been many and they are horrendous. But, Father, you have given forgiveness. And I pray now, Father, that love would compel us and that we would not give regard to anyone according to the flesh, but rather, Lord, we would, with the new eyes that you give us in Christ, And the new hearts that you give us as creations made new by you. As ambassadors even for the trusted reputation of Jesus Christ. Lord, that restoration and reconciliation would be what we seek with others. Lord, for some of us it may mean that on our car ride home. We need to have a very spiritual and deep conversation with our spouse. For others of us, it might mean that we need to broaden the circle even more and maybe we need to go home and make some phone calls and and try to uh, establish a time with someone that that we can meet them face to face. Maybe even meet with someone we've not spoken to or seen in a very, very long time. But tonight we know that we need to do this. That we would try to seek peace with them. And Lord, tonight we're owning this. We realize it's our responsibility. So Father, would you grant us the courage to seek out and to make amends with those that we need to be reconciled with? And oh, but Father, ultimately tonight we're reminded that we have sinned against you. And for that, we've missed your blessings But not only that, we realize that our disunity has caused your work of the gospel spreading has even been hindered. And it's our fault. We are part of the problem. And we've left your work undone because we've chosen to go our own way in some of our relationships. Father, forgive us for this. Lord, we've broken faith with you. And it's had ripple effects And the effects have left us walking in our pride. And we look like fools, Father. We've not realized it, but we are. We're fools. We've been living in arrogance. Not living with compassion and grace. And we've wounded some of your very own sons and daughters. We've wounded some of our very own brothers and sisters. And yes, some of them, maybe they've wounded us too. But Father, it's time to stop this. And let forgiveness be that which runs rampant rather than the harboring of bitterness. So again, Father, give us the courage we need to make these men's. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we pray. Amen. Tonight, as we sing uh, this invitation song, if, if God's just doing something in your heart, maybe there's someone in this room that you just need to go and sit down beside of and, and you just need to talk with them about this love and this forgiveness. But again, maybe there's someone outside of this room that you need to do that same thing with. And again, it doesn't mean that they will accept it. It doesn't mean that they will respond in a positive way. But friends, it's up to you to do everything you can to, do, to make it right. 
And so if there's something about this tonight that I can help you with or encourage you with, come to me and let me pray with you tonight. And beyond these things, if God is grabbing your heart right now and saying or revealing to you that you have not been a child of His, but tonight He's drawing you to Himself and you're ready to make that surrender and give your life to following Him, you're ready to be made that new creation so that you can have uh, these spiritual gifts that God so promises to those that will love and follow Him. If God's doing that work in your heart right now, would you just run to me tonight and let me pray with you and walk with you into that eternal saving relationship with Jesus Christ? Or if you need this altar for anything else tonight, it's here for you. As we stand and sing our song of invitation, would you stand? Sing loudly, if you will. But if God is working on you, stop singing. And just come before the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.